Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler, and my guest today is Paul Grundle, who still writes for the Times Union, and he's with the Writers Institute at, at SUNY. So Paul today is going to talk about Leon Van Dyke and the Brothers. The Brothers were an organization that was in Albany during the 60s and the importance of the Brothers. So, Paul, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Cynthia. I'm I'm well. And, uh, yeah, both you and I know of the Brothers, but I came to Albany in 1981, and the Brothers were a, a very important, um, vital, uh, black militant organization from 1966 to 1971 in Albany. And the importance of the, uh, of the, the brothers? importance was, uh, so one of the, uh, they didn't really give themselves titles, but one of the leaders was Leon Van Dyke. And, uh, he started the organization because he came from Philadelphia and he wanted to get work as a laborer and the South Mall construction was going on and he would go every day to the labor hall and he and a few other black men were there and they got passed over day after day after day and they hired dozens and dozens and dozens of white men. So he got upset and started a picket line calling for equality in hiring. And that was the beginning of the brothers and they went on to, uh, call attention to and fight unfair labor practices, substandard housing, other forms of discrimination. They led protests and marches. They actually really challenged Mayor Corning and the Democratic machine against the $5 vote. So they had a lot of uh, important victories and progressive policies started in the 1960s because of this group. And they also... uh fought against the trash tax, right? Exactly. Yeah, they really were the first organized opposition voice for low-income African-Americans who were confined to a couple very small areas. Uh, Some people would call them slums in the South End and Arbor Hill, West Hill of Albany. And, uh, you know, they pushed back and they got some action. They demanded uh, a place at the table, which had never happened in the city of Albany, ruled by the O'Connell Corning machine since the 1920s. And it was in existence from when to when, did you say? Uh, 1966 to 1971. So this was a period they were influenced a lot by uh, the teachings and the actions of Malcolm X, Um, and uh, the Black Panthers. And uh, one thing that they broke with both of them was that they they never espoused violence. They were strictly nonviolent. They would march and Mm -hmm. protest, carry signs, do other, you know, civil disobedience, but they never, you know, the Black Panthers armed themselves. And uh, and the brothers never never, uh, took violent measures. Um, But they had a, a storefront down on North Pearl Street, uh, in a place that had been Nebby's Shoeshine Parlor. And it was a really active place. They had a um, a newspaper that they ran for four years called The Liberator. 
They would host people that came through, like Eldridge Cleaver, Stokely Carmichael. Um, you know, the great national black leaders would come through Albany, and the brothers would host them. They would have meetings, and uh, they really had a, a major impact for a small group. They were probably a core group of 15 or 20 with, uh, you know, a few dozen others that would help out at events, but they really raised awareness and uh, fought for civil rights and, and equal rights. I know. I know our friend Regin Adams was involved with the brothers as far as hiring practices for the South Mall. So I'm right. sure that there were other uh, white activists who participated in their endeavors, correct? Exactly. I mean, they were formed by African-American men, but they had uh, white people, men and women, and other African-American women that joined them because they did a lot of public demonstrations and protests, and those were open, and, and uh, you know, everyone was encouraged to come because what they were fighting for is what really people of low income and, and uh, people without a voice were fighting for across the city and across the nation. They happen to be African American, but everybody wants uh, good housing and and uh, job opportunities and and that kind of thing. Now you and I did not were not in Albany during those years. As you drive no. through Albany, do you see any lasting effects of their endeavors here? Uh, that's a good question. You know, sometimes it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. I still see, uh, you know, uh, impoverished African-American people confined to, to small areas of the city. I see those neighborhoods, you know, beset by crime and lack of investment and, and substandard housing and the red X's with all the abandoned properties. So in that way, it's hard to see progress, but I think they did elevate the conversation and they did start getting some jobs you know we're talking about Leon Van Dyke because he's had a, a terrible setback with a couple heart attacks and, and uh, health problems but he had a long and distinguished career with the New York State Education Department you know so um, yeah they did they did make some change personally and communally so um Leon, would you say that Leon was the spearhead of this group? Yeah, he was the, uh, you know, he was the leader. He was the person out front on all the demonstrations and pickets. He was the spokesperson. He was the public face of the group. But he was, <clears throat> the other key people were people like Sam McDowell, uh, Gordon Van Ness, um, I'm trying to remember. There were five or six that were the most active, and Leon was at the head of that line. So, um, tell us a little bit about Leon Van Dyke, his health problems, and a little bit about the GoFundMe page. Yeah, so uh, Leon Van Dyke, as we talked about, was the, the leader of the brothers, this really uh, important black activist group in Albany in the 1960s. He had moved to the Philippines uh, about 
11 years ago, I think it was 2008, he married a Filipino woman. He uh, has a couple young children, and in the last few years, his, his heart problems have really exacerbated, and he'd been hospitalized uh, multiple times for heart problems, and, and uh, he had some heart attacks. The problem with uh, healthcare in the Philippines, one, is it's not the same quality as the United States in terms of standards of care, but also they don't accept any private insurance or, I mean, he has uh, Medicare in the States. That's not accepted there either. And um, it's a pay-as-you-go system. So he pretty much burned through all his savings and uh, they don't do any treatment until you pay up front in that country. So uh, for all those reasons, he was trying to get back to the U.S. and back to Albany. And some friends in the Philippines set up a GoFundMe page. I wrote an article last week. It was started with just $135, and now I know it's up over $3,000. And I just got an update. He has a daughter in Montreal. She was able to get him to Montreal um, on a flight somehow. I think she either paid for it or had miles. And now she's got him transported to Albany. So he has just uh, come back to Albany, and he's at Albany Med uh, awaiting surgery. I hope to go see him soon and uh, hopefully write an update on his situation for the Times Union because as soon as I did that story, I interviewed people who worked with him and, and knew him very well in the 1960s, like Alice Green, like William Kennedy uh, and others. And he's got a lot of friends and support here. So I'm really hopeful that the uh, the surgery will, you know, prolong his life. He was down to less than 25% of heart capacity, and oh. uh, he was in, in tough condition. But I think he will get good quality. I know he'll get good quality care, and uh, hopefully his condition will improve here in Albany. Now, you said he... They had a newspaper back then. Uh, like Reson, you know, she worked tirelessly over the years, and there was nothing really documented as far as film or a book or anything like that. I know that the time Junior covered her, but has any has there been any documentation as far as like a film or books about Leon yeah. and brothers? Yes. So the good thing is, uh, I think it was four years ago now, I wrote about that when it came out, too. There was a documentary and an exhibit, um, uh, an exhibit down in Arbor Hill and a documentary on the history of the brothers, because uh, at that point, you know, Liam Van Dyke was in Albany and a couple of the brothers who were still alive from the 1960s were interviewed and other people were interviewed and they put together a nice documentary. In fact, my colleague here, Brian Keogh, who's the head of the archives at the University of Albany was uh, central to that because we have the papers from the brothers here at UAlbany. We have a lot of really important collections of organizations and groups that were important in Albany's history because we have climate controlled spaces and, and archivists. So, the, whatever you know, records and correspondence and the newspaper and, and 
archival documentation that exists for the brothers is right here just down the hall from us at the Writers Institute on the third floor of the Science Library. And those are accessible yep. and open to the public. People come here and do research in the archives regularly. I'm, I'm glad you're talking about this because on uh, February 5th at 6 p.m., two surviving brothers, uh, Earl Thorpe and Purcell McDowell, will be yep. uh, at, at the uh, Northolomy branch of the public library on February oh, 5th. So, you know, anybody who's interested in the brothers, the impact that they've made on Albany, uh, learning a little bit about the history of Albany, which I think is very important, should go go to the um, public library uh, on February 5th at 6 o'clock. That's the North Albany branch. Now, do you know about where that's located, Paul? Yeah, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't know about that. So that's really helpful to your listeners, Cynthia. Um, And if I do do a follow-up, if I'm able to go down and talk to Leon, I will will add that. Because I had actually interviewed Earl and Perseus when the uh, documentary and exhibit came out a few years ago. They were involved in that as well. So, uh, yeah, like, like you said, I mean, there's central people in the history of Albany who have been on you know, the progressive side standing up and, and fighting for the underdog, giving voice to the voiceless, um, defending the oppressed, people like Regin Adams, like Leon Van Dyke, um, you know, and others who have, some of whom have passed away and we've lost those stories. So this kind of documentary work, and I know you're involved in preserving Regin's story as well. It's really important because, uh, when they're gone, you know, that opportunity has, has faded. So I'm glad to hear that there's going to be a program on February 5th, and that library is um, uh, the North Albany Library. Did you say North Albany or the Howe Branch? I didn't uh, hear. North Albany. Okay. North yeah, Albany. That's, uh, yeah, that's on North Pearl Street, um, and it used to be a, a YMCA it's part of a school, um, I guess school 20. Uh, wait, I might have the wrong number. But anyway, it's on yeah North Pearl Street. And, uh, um, well, that'll be a good location because that's very close to where their storefront was. Their storefront was at, I believe it was 27 North Pearl Street when they were active in the 1960s. So that's, that's the neighborhood where they were, were based. Now, Leon is, is in his 80s, correct? Yeah, he's, uh, I believe he's 84. Yeah. So, uh, is Mr. Thorpe and Mr. McDowell, are they also in their 80s? No, they're younger. Um, okay. Earl was one of the younger members, he, but he's probably in his 70s at least. And uh, okay. But Perseus was Sam McDowell's younger brother. He was kind of a kid at the time, so he's uh, somewhat younger. I mean, he's not a kid, but, you know, we're talking this was 50 years ago. Um, right. But uh, he's he's younger. Yeah, he, he might be in his 60s. 
Now, back back in the back in the sixties and seventies, the brothers made a huge impact on the community. Why did they disband? Do you know? Yes, they were uh, active from nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy one, and uh, they were harassed a lot by the police. There was actually you know, brick thrown through their storefront. Uh, when I did my biography of Mayor Corning, um, I found uh, files of surveillance by Albany police on Leanne Van Dyke and, and the others. And, um, you know, they, they weren't intimidated, but I think they had moved on with their lives at that point and uh, had other work to do, had you know, had been successful in in getting jobs where they were shut out before because of their race. So nobody at that point just picked up the mantle and ran with it? That's right. Um, You know, there there were some programs gradually coming in with the state and the county in terms of civil rights legislation uh, three years away from 1964 or no, 64 had already come in. The Civil Rights Act had been passed and um, you know, it, it, I think the, the group had run its course and uh, the members some had moved away, some had full-time jobs and uh, the group just kind of faded away. I, I've lived I've lived in Albany for 10 years. I've I've lived in the Capital District since 1981, and I only heard about the brothers in speaking with Rush, and it's too bad that they are not more well-known. Would you agree? I agree. But again, you know, this this event at the library on February 5th that you mentioned, the documentary that, that people can find online, I mean, if, if people take a little effort, they, they can learn about them. And I'm, I'm glad that these uh, programs have been done, um, you know, that preserve their story and their information. So uh, would you be kind enough to keep me updated on how Leon is doing? Um, I knew he was in the Philippines, and now he's heading back to Albany, and I think that's that's really good as far as like his health and you know his what what can be done for for um, for him here and hopefully he could shed some light on on Albany itself. Um, I think that that would exactly. be fantastic. Yeah. So in the closing moments, Paul, do you have anything to say about? Leon, the brothers at that particular period, and what we could learn about them right now. Yeah, I think, you know, they're a reminder that a few determined people can stand up against very large and powerful and seemingly, uh, you know, uh, monolithic organizations. So they stood up, you know, the, the, uh, the motto speak truth to power is what they did. They were uh, young African-American men 
of uh, very modest means, and, and some came from very poor backgrounds, and they uh, raised their voice and raised the awareness in Albany that uh, there, it wasn't a level playing field, that they didn't have opportunities for jobs, that their uh, the apartments that they rented were substandard compared to apartments in white neighborhoods, that uh, they were being co-opted by this $5 of uh, bills that were being passed around to polling places to get them to, to vote for the Democratic machine, even though that machine you know, did not have their best interests at heart. So they, they, um, they really, the term now is woke. You know, they, they were woke and they did wake up uh, Albany to these uh, abuses and these uh, racial inequities. So I think that's a lesson that resonates across all decades, but they were very much part of the whole 1960s swirl of counterculture and civil rights and demanding a voice. So uh, let me ask you one question before we uh, say goodbye. Tell us a little bit about how they fought against the $5 kind of, I'd say, bribes on election day to all people to go to the polls. How did they fight against that? They fought against it by first calling attention to it because it was one of these things that was uh, very underhanded, you know, with a quick slip of the hand with a bill in it as you uh, go into the polling place. And what they did was hold a protest. They got out there with their signs that read, don't sell your soul for the $5 vote. Um, they had uh, rallies, and and basically they brought it out of the shadows and out of the uh, you know um, sidelines where it had been, and they put it front and center, and and uh, you know they they basically told people what was happening, and people responded, and were finally made aware of this underhanded tactic to keep in power and um you know they they did that on on many occasions and uh they uh they made some some change and some progress wow thank you paul happy new year so you have you been too. listening to paul uh give us a little plug about the the writers institute Sure. Thanks for asking, Cynthia. Yeah, the New York State Writers Institute, we are going to be releasing our full spring schedule in the next couple weeks. Our uh, full printed program is at the printer right now, and just after the New Year's, it will be hitting mailboxes, and we'll be putting a release and all the information on our website, nyswritersinstitute.org, nyswritersinstitute.org. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, people at our our new film festival, too. This is pretty exciting. It's an inaugural Albany Film Festival, much like our book festival, which we have each fall. This will be a film festival each spring, and it will be March 27th and 28th in 2020 here on the Uptown New Albany campus. How many films are you planning on um, showing? Well, you know? we're uh, having an open call for, for shorts, so if people have short films, they can go to our website and upload them and, and uh, be part of uh, the, the juried 
prizes. There will be cash prizes for new short films from students and non-students. We'll be showing full-length films. And also when you see our schedule that I mentioned, it's going to all come out with a big splash, we hope, in uh, in another week. That will have all the information about our Friday films. So those Friday films will show films of some of the screenwriters, directors, and other writers that we'll be bringing to the film festival. So we're also dedicating this spring semester to Toni Morrison, the Pulitzer Prize-winning, Nobel Prize-winning author who passed away in August, mm-hmm. who was on our campus. She was a faculty member here at UAlbany for five years. Now, that's something people have either forgotten or never knew about. And we're going to bring attention to all the good work she did here. She was an affiliate of the Writers Institute, and she was part of our English department here at the University of Albany. So thank you, Paul. You have been listening to Paul Grundle of the Writers Institute. I'm Cynthia Pooler. And be sure, if you're interested in learning more about the brothers, please come to the event at the Albany Public Library February 5th at 6 p.m. That's the North Albany branch. And um, this is focused on Albany. And I've got to say, you know, this is aired on today on WCAA. But I also do podcasts talking about what's going on in Albany. So anybody who's listening to this who'd like to learn more about my podcast can go on www.focusonalbany.com see all my podcasts and if you like this show like us like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter thanks Paul thank you everybody have a wonderful day thanks Cynthia <laughs>